Welcome to Process This, a podcast for the sterile processing community. The Healthcare Sterile Processing Association, HSPA, invites you to log on, listen and learn twice a month. Now it's time to process this with your host, clinical educator, John Wood. Welcome to the Process This Podcast. This is episode number 84. Well, thanks for joining me today. Today we are speaking with Natalie Lynn, HSPA Director of Education. Now, did you know that the newly revised Sterile Processing Technical Manual, the ninth edition, has recently been published? Well, it has, and I'm pretty excited about it. And that's why Natalie is here today. She's going to talk to us about the ninth edition, essentially what goes into revising a book and all that that entails. So join me in welcoming Natalie today. Natalie, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. Well, thanks for having me, John. So there is a lot that goes into creating and revising a book. Can you tell us about the process of developing the new Sterile Processing Technical Manual? I sure can, and you are right. Until you've worked on the process, I think it seems like it would be really easy, but there are so many things that we do. And John, I just want to say um, thank you for inviting me to talk about this, but for your listeners, John just isn't a great podcast host. He also is incredibly deeply involved in all of these books that we that we revise and write and so john it's old news to you but um, <laughs> i can give you kind of a picture give the listeners a picture of what we do um in this case with the ninth edition that just came out we revised an existing textbook and that's a little different than building a textbook from the beginning from the ground up uh, the book that um, the ninth edition we started out by looking at the eighth edition and we had some questions we needed to answer we had to answer, have there been changes in standards and regulations? Of course there had, because that book came out in 2016, and a lot has happened since then. So we had to look into that. Then, have there been changes in existing technologies? Are there things that are happening now, technologies we're using, that didn't exist or weren't really mainstream back in when that other book was written? And then, are there best practices that have been introduced in since the, the development of that first test. What are we doing now that we weren't doing a few years ago? And then, are there any common cell processing processes that need to be added or enhanced into the test? Um, and we get a lot of that information from the common questions. And a lot of you listening probably have sent in, emailed a question in or called in with a question. And we do keep track of that information and the ones that have a lot of repetitiveness are the ones that we want to make sure we get into the book. In addition to taking a look at that existing text, then we start talking about additional input. That may be conversations we've had with people. It may be survey results. It may be a lot of different ways that we have gathered information since the last time we worked with that book. Once we get all that data, we need to compile it. And we pull it together just to make sure we have all the information that we need to have. And then we develop a method 
to insert that information in, write new uh, areas or sections if we need to, update other sections, kind of go from there. We also look at making the book more focused on cell processing. If you've followed our books for the last three or four editions, I'll give you an example, medical terminology and anatomy and physiology was basic, the same as you'd probably get in any other class. And what we've done over the years is we've moved that to more about surgical terminology and more information about surgeries because we spent so much of our shift supporting surgery. So we've kind of moved it more to a cell processing field. Once you get all that information together, we design the text outline. How is this going to look? What order should it happen in? And, and normally what we do is we give general information in the beginning of the book. And then we follow kind of the, the cycle, if you will, of an instrument. We start talking about uh, transport of so- soiled instruments and point of use treatment. And then we move into decontam and, and we move into assembly and inspection and sterilization and storage. So the book kind of follows the logical process that you would see in a still processing department. Once we get the outline done, we look for authors. We look for people who can write, who have expertise or SMEs in certain areas. While we're doing that, we're also searching for pictures and graphics. And I know many of you have probably gotten an email from me or someone on the ed team saying, we really need pictures of this. Can you help us out? We ask vendors for pictures. We do like to take pictures in operational still processing departments because that's real life. But there's times when we just can't get a picture or something new. And so we partner with vendors on some pictures. Once we pull it all together, it goes into the editing process. And we have two great editors on staff. They are professional writers, professional editors. And our group, the education team, are the technical experts. We put it together, and to our eyes, it's technically correct. Then we send it to Julie Williamson and Emily Nordstrom, and they do magic and make (laughs) the changes that are necessary to uh, to, to make the book look like a book. It goes to formatting after that. Eileen Wagner at Wagner Designs puts it together. And while they're doing all that, we're working on an index, glossary, preface, table of content development, all of those things. And once we get that back, it's a rough draft, so to speak. And so the ed team and the and the uh, editors start going through it, as my grandmother used to say, with a fine-tooth comb, making <laughs> sure that there's no punctuation errors, no technical errors, grammar, those types of things. Those changes are made, and we go back through a final review before it goes to the print and John, how did I get all of that? That's months and months of work into <laughs> one answer. I don't know. Did you, I leave anything out? No, I, I, I think you covered quite a bit of it. it. So, I mean, obviously, this doesn't happen overnight, right? It, it takes a, it takes a. Oh my gosh! As they say, it takes a village, and it, and it takes some time to put together. Uh, you are so correct in that. Not only uh, it takes a lot of time to put together, more than I ever thought when I just worked kind of helping with text. But not only that, but it takes a lot of um, a lot of people and everybody brings their expertise. I'm not an expert on everything in cell processing, but I know people who are on certain, th- certain things. 
John, you have added a lot to our books. Because, um, have you told these guys that you're also a surgical technologist? That's your background. I don't know. John adds so much from that surgery perspective that we didn't have. So we bring in people with all kinds of perspectives, all kinds of expertise. And that's what makes the books turn into what they are, a nice learning tool. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And there, there's lots of different stakeholders involved in the development of this book, right? There are tons. Um, it is amazing how many people help with the development of the book, provide input into how it's turning out. And what I like to say is the most important stakeholder, to me at least, are the readers that will be using this because our number one thing, and I know you've heard me say this many times, is user-friendly. There's nothing worse than trying to read a book that is incredibly boring, <laughs> that is uh, maybe a little bit farther along than where your knowledge level is, so you're struggling and things like that. So we have a ton of stakeholders, and I always put the readers up as the number one because this is why we do it. So what were some of the challenges faced during the development process? Oh, my gosh. Um, well, I think the first one is keeping things moving, you know, making all the deadlines. All of us, I know the people that we ask to help us that are in the industry, they're all doing their regular jobs besides this. Um, I don't know if our listeners know that we don't have our duties taken away from us. We still need to do our regular daily jobs and when we're working on a book. So sometimes the deadlines, you know, may slip back a little bit. I think that's probably the biggest one. Um, having a whole bunch of people involved is wonderful. But it's also, my grandmother used to say, and I, it actually was just her birthday, so that's why I'm probably thinking of it. She used to say, many, many hands make light work. And we have all these people in and they're all helping and it's great. But sometimes it can kind of be, when it comes to deadlines, like herding cats <laughs> because you think you've got everybody going, but there's somebody who had, you know, a delay. They were going to talk to somebody about something that didn't happen and what have you. I think the other thing is handling uh, issues with regard to some of the standards and guidelines. You know, there's nothing worse than putting out a book and then finding out a new standard or guideline comes out a month later and everything you've written about that standard is outdated. And so you know, that's always an issue with all of our books. And uh, I don't know, they're, they're kind of unique experiences. It can be different things. But I think just keeping everybody together and moving is probably the biggest. How do you decide on the content and the organization of the book itself? Well, the content kind of writes itself because we know what we're covering. I think the big thing is with all of our books is the scope. This is our entry book. This is for people that are new to the field. And so we have to make sure that we're treating it that way. And you know, I've had people say to me, I've been doing this for 20 years and I got certified and I thought that book was pretty, pretty basic. And it's like, yeah, it is. But we've also got somebody who just got out of high school who's never been in CS. that's going to the community college. And, you know, so um, I think that organization is huge and the content is huge. Making sure that we're up to date and timely. I think that we're, we're broad and not real prescriptive. Um, a lot of people say, well, you say refer to the IFU a thousand times in the book. Or it's probably 2,000. I don't know. But <laughs> the thing of it is, we can't specifically say, do this for this 
instrument or with this piece of equipment because there are other companies that manufacture these and their IFUs may be different. So I think the thing is, is, is we just want to be sure that we remember the reader and that we keep it scoped in. Um, the organization of the book I mentioned earlier, we kind of try to do it in a recycle an instrument would take. Uh, a lot of the organization comes from our design people. They're the ones that make the books look good. And so everybody's kind of has a hand in that too. It's certainly not just a one or two person thing. We kind of touched on this just a little bit earlier, but how do you ensure that the information in the book is accurate and up to date? That is a really good question. Um, it starts with researching. I think everybody's heard something that wasn't true. Somebody came in or maybe a survey came through the neighboring hospital and bits of information come out that aren't really true. We really do a lot of research. We keep our books very tightly scoped to current standards and guidelines uh, from Amy, from AORN. You know, we try to make sure that we have the newest information this is what sometimes we'll call vendors and talk to them about newer things that are out there. But we want to be sure that we look at that. We don't just say, oh, we talked about this. You know, this is always the same because that's when we get into trouble. So literally, we take that book completely apart. And, and I'll give you an example. In our last book, there was a table and there was nothing wrong with the table, but it became outdated. And so... You know, obviously, we pulled that out and we handled that information a different way. It's just a lot of research and then review and review. And I am so impressed with the education team because I think, and John, I, I think you'll agree with me on this. They, everybody has something that they're looking for. It's For us, it's four sets of eyes and everybody catches something. I, I think it's amazing. We'll all read the same chapter and we'll come back with different comments. And I think that yeah. keeps us honest, too, that review and everybody reviewing. So it's not an easy task. That's right. And and I will give a shout out to Sue Klasik because she is the Amy guru. So anything Amy, she is always on top of it. And, you know, it's great to have her as part of our team when we're looking at those updates and things to make sure they're accurate according to the standards. Absolutely. And uh, she also... Uh, helps out with the AORN guidelines, um, and she is involved with uh, Shay and a lot of different places. She has, I think, a photographic memory because you can ask <laughs> her about a certain standard or guideline and she can just pull it out. And John, on the other side of that, um, you're, you're really modest. John is also one of our reps, Amy, and he uh, comes with that information too. So you guys are both invaluable and uh, you know, so is, so is Patty Conker. The, yep. the team is awesome. So was there any input or feedback from professionals in the field during the development of the book? Yeah, there was. And it depends on the book we're writing. We do a lot more with professionals in the field if it's a first-time new book. And uh, I'll just drop a little teaser here. We have two of those in the making right now. So not new certifications. Don't anybody get excited. But... <laughs> Some really good books. There is definitely input and feedback that we get. Some of the ways we collect that, and again, it depends. You know, I'm, I don't want to just talk about this book because we have others that we do as well. But we use surveys, 
and we gather information about needs for the the text. We gather information about how people are doing things. We do a lot with getting feedback in that manner, which when you have as many members as we do, that's kind of the best way to go. We also can split out, like, um, if we're writing, if we're writing a book about, uh, ASCs, I would be able to go into our database and pull up everybody that worked in an ASC. So I could just, well, we could just survey those people. So the surveys are great. And then we do subject matter expert input and Again, there are so many people out there. One thing that's interesting, though, guys, and I think I need to point this out, is that if you work as a subject matter expert and you come in and you help with test development, we are not allowed to use the people that develop the tests to develop the book and vice versa. So if you're saying, well, gee, you know, they thought I was enough of an expert to go do testing, but I'm not hearing anything from education. That's why um, Siri Sorensen... And I have lists of who is, you know, who is working on which project. So we use subject matter experts, which, you know, is, is probably, I think the survey gives us a broader information than we go to the subject matter experts. So that's uh, for more specific information. And we do, I mean, you know, I will, and some of you will know this, I will give you a call or send an email and say, can we have like a 10 minute call? I just want to pick your brain. And somebody that we know works with a certain system or whatever so that we can, you know, get that information. And there's a lot of retail that goes on during a book development, too. Hey, let's take a second and pause our conversation. So are you looking to get a CE for this episode? Hey, that's great. All you have to do to receive a CE for this episode is simply click on the link in the episode notes Log on to the MyHSPA website and make sure to use the code WORKBOOK. The code for this episode, and only this episode, is WORKBOOK. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So, how does the book support continuing education and professional development for our CRCSTs? Well, I think it does a lot of things. And I think the biggest mistake we make about um, the books is that we look at them. They are the beginning book. If you're going to go after, you know, you're going to go after your CIS and CHL and you need, you know, you've got to do the CRCST before you can get those certifications. But I hear a lot of people say to me, well, I'm already a CRCST, so I don't need to see the ninth edition. And I always say, you know, there have been a lot of things that changed. I said earlier on, 2016 to now, a ton of changes <laughs> in the industry. Yep. So, you know, I got, I, I'm going to date myself. I got certified in the CRCST in 1986. I don't want any emails saying I wasn't born <laughs> yet. But the, um, you know, a lot of stuff has changed since 1986. So it helps me to, you know, I would want to read the, these books just to keep myself abreast of what is happening. And what's what's out there now? What's kind of fallen by the wayside? I remember the first books that I that I worked on. We had sections on how to make sterile water and yeah. sterile saline in borosilicate bottles. Well, needless to say, we don't have that in our books anymore. <laughs> and so, what I'm saying is, our medical industry is moving forward at a rapid pace, and 
the things we do to support procedures, I'm looking forward to. So I always tell people, you should always look at the newest book. It's a great way to keep abreast of change, I think. And the other thing I would say is getting, looking at the books, keep kind of looking between an older version and the newer revision and things can set you up and make you ready there, make you say, well, you know, I think I could help with that. And I'm going to tell you there, this is a great way helping with a textbook. I'm putting a little pitch in here, John. <laughs> helping with a textbook is a great way to network with other people, to learn how the books really are developed and to give you that writing or that photography experience that would really be useful. And, um, I can tell you my first book back when we were at Isham was the fourth edition of this book, was the first one I worked on. Oh, wow. And if anybody had told me that I would be as involved in doing books as I am now, 20 years, whatever, later, 30 years, I guess, I, I would have said, no, that would never happen because that's not what I do. I'm a still processing person. I don't write books. I don't <laughs> do that stuff. So I think... Look over the books and, you know, you'll find when you do, especially if you're certified and you've been working for a while, you, you'll look at it and say, I can help with that. I could do that. And it's a great career step to have, be able to say, yeah, I've done this. I have this experience. So, so a little pitch for helping us out and also just some real good reasons why everybody should take a look at those books. Yeah. In fact, there are some times when, I have a question and I'm looking to the standards or I'm trying to find something in a guideline and I can't find it there, but I, but it's in our book. And that's what I like about the book is it has that A to Z sterile processing. And there's just some things that, you know, your standards aren't going to say. They're not going to spell out for you, but it's in the book. And so that's kind of, I use it as a resource. I, I agree with you. And I wonder how many times our books have been used too to settle a little disagreement at the break table. <laughs> We do it this way. No, you have to do this. The other thing they do that I think is great, John, is they tell you why. Yes. You know, I, they tell you what, you know, what, how, and why. And if you don't know the why, you don't put as much importance on it. So I, I think that's really a positive part of the books. There is a workbook that supports the technical manual. What are the advantages of using this workbook? Oh, you're talking to an old teacher. <laughs> uh, I will tell you that the workbook is very user-friendly. And I think it's a great way. A lot of people, you know, do self-study. Or even if they're in a class, they want to have, if, if the class isn't using the workbook, it gives them an opportunity. Um, there's, there's three basic exercises in the book. The first is a practice exercise. And that allows, uh, they're a little broader in how they're developed but they allow the person to work with words and concepts that may have been unfamiliar. So, you know, you work with it, you get a little more familiar. Then there are review quizzes. And I like to say, that's my stop or goal. If I took a review quiz and I did poorly, I would probably go back and restudy before I moved on. Hmm. And then finally there are progress tests and they take, they kind of take a broader look at things and they kind of prepare you to take a longer test to, um, you know, really see how much information you're retaining. If you're taking this through, you know, a lot of places, you have a year to do it. 
Well, guess what? Whatever you did in January, if you started in that month, by November, you may be forgetting it. And these progress tests keep bringing back that information. So I think that they really help us to uh, keep things fresh in our mind, check our understanding, and measure our readiness to move on. Yeah, I think for me, I I have test anxiety. So it doesn't matter what I'm doing. There's always this test anxiety. And so things like workbooks, things like just answering questions, getting used to those questions like you talked about really is beneficial when I'm going through uh, a certification process or some sort of test. So, And I just, I'm not going to say anything bad about specific companies, but I am going to say this, that the workbook is designed and it is reviewed as much as the book. And the workbook is designed for the textbook. There are a lot of things out there online. And I just want you to know that if here's a good rule of thumb. If you can't link to it from the HSPA PA website, if you can't link to something for as a study guide, it is it is not something that we provide. They may use our name. They may do different things online. There's a lot of things out there. But this is the only document that is designed specifically by the people who wrote the book. Well, Natalie, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. So thank you for spending some time with us today. Hey, I really appreciated it. And thanks again, uh, John, for the great job you do with these. Well, that music means only one thing, and I'm sorry to say we are out of time for today. Thank you again, Natalie, for speaking with us. HSPA episode number 84 is in the books. Hey, just remember, each episode that we do here on the podcast, it's on demand. So when you're ready for us, we'll be there for you. As always, stay classy and we'll see you at the conference.